Welcome to Relevant Faith Church this morning. My name is Mike Womer. I'm the lead pastor here at Relevant Faith, and we are so happy that you have joined us for worship this morning. Today, we are going to close out a series that we have been preaching. It's the sixth week of this series called Discover Your Story. And we've been talking about the dreams and the visions and the plans that God has given us. And I'm going to give you a quick little five-week review, and this is going to be a very quick review. But I want to give you, and if you missed any of these messages, I encourage you to go online to rfcpeoria.com, click on the listen link, and you can listen to every one of these messages online. And so we started this series talking about dream killers. We started talking about people and situations and problems and challenges that can come around that can cause the dreams that God has given us to be snuffed out to be to be that 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 to be quenched and not able to be able to dream typically related to a lot of the people around us that kind of will cause issues for us. And so we talked about how to overcome these dream dream killers and in the second week of this series we talked about dreaming courageously. Where it's not just enough to just say, oh, it's this little simple thing that I, that I want to accomplish, but to dream big and to dream courageously. And in the third week of this st- series, um, my good friend Ken Godbolt came and spoke the word of God on how God restores the dream. He brings restoration to the dream and to your life. And, and I love that message because it comes from a place for him where God has restored dreams in his life that had once seemingly died or had been dormant. And so it was just a powerful message. I definitely encourage you to listen to that one um, as soon as you can if you missed that one. And then in the fourth week of this series, we talked about the fine print of the, of the dreams and how Pastor John King at our night of worship said something that just resonated in my spirit and also in, in that connected deeply with this message series when he said, you know, God is not at all safe, but he is always good. You know, and that, that idea just resonated because there is a fine print when it comes to following Christ. You know, you ever get, you ever, you ever, they tell you, like, never sign your name to a contract until you've read it all, right? And then, of course, there's usually some kind of language we don't fully understand, and we get to the bottom, and then there's, we've read all this, and our eyes are glazed over, like, I don't understand any of this anyway, I'm just going to sign it, right? Well, with God, there is a fine print. While people say, and, and it's absolutely true, the grace of God is free. To receive the gift of Christ is absolutely free. You can't do anything to earn it. You can't purchase it. You can't be good enough for it. However, it's not exactly free because it will cost you something. It will cost you everything. And that, that's actually a great, great thing to have to pray. So there's a fine print to that. And we started in the story, talked about the story of Joseph and how he had dreams that God had given him and how these dreams seemingly were deferred and completely in his mind he sees the beauty of all that God is giving him and how actually unsafe it really was for him physically to dream that way. And then last week we talked in more depth about his dreams and about how dreams are, are deferred from time to time but they're not denied and they're not dead. Sometimes it just takes a little bit of time. Sometimes that is God's plan in slowing things down. Other times it's deferred because of our choices, our decisions, the way that we have uh, walked out that journey and have struggled to really see God's dream and vision come to pass. But they are only deferred. They're not dead and they're certainly um, not denied. 
And so today we're going to finish this message series up, and I'm going to preach perhaps the hardest message in this series, which kind of stinks because I'm feeling a little bit under the weather as well right now. So being under the weather and having to preach a difficult message um, could be challenging, so you're going to have to track with me today because the part of today's message, the series, is not going to be the most enjoyable portion of it. I don't necessarily expect to hear a whole lot of um, amens and shouting at me, although this is going to be good preaching. I, I expect fully for this to be a little bit more of a somber type message for you to hear. But it's going to start in John chapter 15 because the, 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 the reality is that dreaming always begins with God. Any kind of dream, any kind of vision, it always begins with, with God. And in John chapter 15, Jesus is teaching, giving a teaching, and he's saying very, very popular passage of Scripture. He says, I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Then he, said, then he goes on to say, Remain in me, verse 4, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. And then in verse 5 he says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. So it's a very popular passage of Scripture. We've heard it before. If you've been in church for any length of time in your life, you've heard that before. And there's one, the key word in all of that passage of Scripture, which is going to be like the foundation for our message today, is the word remain, the phrase remain in me. There is a, there's a relationship, a duality, if you will, when it comes to our relationship with Christ. There's if I remain in him, then he remains in me. Right? Yes, God is the creator of everything. He created us in his image. He loved us at creation. He matter of fact, when it came to humanity, he said it was good. And so there's nothing that can separate us from God's love, except there is this one, this one challenge within that is whether or not we choose to remain in him. And so that idea of remaining in him really is summed up in one very ugly, ugly word that none of us ever really want to embrace. As a matter of fact, if you have children, you understand that this is an, it's, an, it's almost unnatural to embrace this word, but it's the only true way to see God move on your behalf is when we remain in Him or when we fall into this place called obedience. And I know it's not fun and it's not the enjoyable part of preaching. We all want to come and we want to hear the word of God and we want to feel good about life. We want to feel good about our journey. And, and, and we, you should just simply because you are a child of God. But if we don't talk about serious things and we don't talk about difficult things sometimes, then I believe that we are doing a disservice to one another and we're not actually, actu we're not actually helping one another to achieve all that God wants us to achieve. And so dreaming begins with God, and it begins by relying on Him in everything. And the way we do this is by obeying what He has said. So what is your attitude towards obedience? I mean, do you fight against it? Do you see the benefits of it? 
What will happen if you simply just began obeying the Bible every day? What changes would take place in your life as a result of this kind of obedience? You know, the promise, I believe the promise of obedience is this amazing thing. And I believe that if you fall in line with this obedience part of your walk with Christ, then the other parts where it says, ask for anything you want and it will be given to you, kind of works itself out. You know, we read scriptures like that and says, whatever you ask for, it'll be done in my name. And we think, wow, well, let's just, I'll just ask for it and it'll be done. But the greater part of that that we miss is this part of obeying God's word. And so this has so much more to do with fulfilling God's dream for our life and not just about getting whatever you want whenever you want it, like winning the lottery. So whenever, whenever it comes to seeing God move in our lives and the dreams that he's given us come to pass, there's an obedience that comes with it. And with, that, with obedience comes tests. If we go back to last week's message and we talk a little bit about Joseph and what he experienced, you know, he had a series of tests along the way that required obedience. Like there was the test of being in the pit. Joseph could very easily have just said, whew, never mind. Forget about my dream. It was just some bad Chinese food. That's all that was. There's nothing to that. It's just, it's just my food didn't settle with me really well. So let's just forget about my dream. Because he was in a pit and he was being, he was, they were plotting to kill him or ultimately then to sell him. So there was a test and obedience that would have to follow. And then he gets into the palace and yet there was another test in the palace. How would he respond to the way God had elevated him? And then in comes Potiphar's wife. And we all know that was a test. And obedience would have to reign in him in order for him to really continue to walk the path that God had for him. You know, because after all, he could have easily have just embraced that, that relationship with Potiphar's wife. And even though he didn't and was lied upon, then he went to prison and yet faced another test in prison of obedience. Here he is locked up for multiple years for doing nothing wrong, and obedience would have to play a part in whether or not he saw God move on his behalf. And so when the question I want you to answer to yourselves today is what comes to your mind when you hear the word obedience? You know, is it, does, does, do you get an image of like sitting quietly in a class or standing at attention when the drill sergeant yells at ease, until the drill sergeant yells at ease? You're standing there rigidly. I know that feeling all too well. Or maybe, maybe it's in the midst of filing your taxes. Do I obey the law? Do I work in the gray area? We all, it's funny how many laughs we got with that one, right? Start talking about taxes. Well, how can I get as much money from Uncle Sam as possible and just be somewhat truthful, but not tell the whole truth? Or maybe, this one's a funny one, I fail at this one all the time, maybe it's turning your, air, your phone into airplane mode when you're actually told to do so on the airplane. I don't know about you, but my phone gets into airplane mode, usually sometime around the time I lose signal because now I'm up in the air. 
And then I put it in airplane mode. You know, or maybe it's punching the clock faithfully to keep your job or following the dentist's instructions when it comes to brushing and flossing your teeth. I mean, these all sound like simple and, and, and easy things to do, but whatever your thought or image when it comes to obedience, oftentimes we associate it with this negative thing. In order to be obedient to God, I mean, it means doing what's necessary but not what's fun. Or from the earliest age, we start to think that and understand that most, most the basic language, obey, actually is like unwelcome because it's like, ah, I really, when, I, when we've talked about it with my children, I say, you know, being obedient is so important to your life and to your health and to everything that you'll ever want. Because I tell my kids, I says, you're going to, you want all of these things from your parents. And I, and I would often tell them, you know what? All I have to do is make sure you're fed, you're clothed, and you have a roof over your head. I don't have to pay several hundred or thousand dollars so that you can go and play basketball or so that you can go and play volleyball or that you can go and play golf or do any of the other things that you want to do. I, I, I don't have to do that part. but I, I want to do that. I want to bless you. I want to give you the world if I had it to give. I, I want to give that all to you. But I'm not just going to give it all to you for no reason. I'm not just going to give it to you, especially if you can't figure out how just to do the dishes when you're asked without an attitude. Or clean up your room when you're asked without an attitude. I will say this as a testimony to my children who... It stinks being a pastor's kid because they hear about, everybody hears about their lives because they're the subject of illustration and messages, is what it is. They have come to embrace it for the most part. But I will say they have gotten so much better at that. It used to be a fight, especially with Leah. Leah, go clean your room. Oh my gosh, the drama that would ensue. And how all it's going gonna, it's gonna to take hours. I can't do it all by myself. I'm like, you messed it all up by yourself. You can pick it up by yourself. And then you'd go in hours later and nothing's done. What are you doing? I'm cleaning. You're not doing nothing. And it, it, it's, it's, it's interesting because in those moments, you have really great opportunities to teach them what obedience looks like. You know, the Bible even tells us that obedience is greater than sacrifice. Oftentimes we'll look at what we've given up or what we've given for something and think that should count for something when we really can't figure out how to be obedient and do the things that God tells us to do. When God says things like, hey, maybe you should keep a, a watchful eye on your tongue and not use coarse language. Oh, wait a minute. You just said what? Yeah, I just shattered the theology of I'm a Christian, but I cuss a little. Because that theology shouldn't even exist in Scripture. It doesn't exist in Scripture. It shouldn't exist in our lives. Because the Bible tells us to refrain from coarse language. So if, we, if the Bible tells us that and we don't do that, now we've missed out on this whole thing called obedience. Or we're not supposed to be drunk. Or I could go on and on and on, but I don't have time for that this morning. But by the time we reach adulthood, we've been programmed almost to think obedience is this unpleasant thing. That obeying is required in any situation means that what we want to do 
doesn't matter because we have to do these things we have to do. And so part of what I'm trying to teach even my children is that the blessing that comes from obedience, and we're going to get to that in just a couple minutes because there is a, there's a, a level of blessing that comes from obedience that I don't think that we've really truly come to understand that hopefully we will today. So then, after all of this time and our conditioning as it relates to what obedience is, comes Christ and then our transformation. And following Christ, by definition, literally means obeying him. When Jesus said, remain in me, he's like, I'm telling you, just do what I ask you to do. Do what I tell you to do. Well, how do I know what Jesus told me to do? Because he wrote it down right here for y'all. And so just do what's in here. And so the importance of this obedience is probably central to most preaching and teaching and discussion that we actually hear. Most believers like ourselves bring this cold shower concept to obedience in our, in our faith journey. It's one of those things like, ah, it's like nobody wants to be in a cold shower. Nobody wants to be obedient. And so... To obey Christ truly means, by default, to deny ourselves, our desires. Oftentimes it means doing the opposite of what we're inclined to do. So the Bible has a lot to say about the hard side of obedience. In Luke chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, the Bible says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. And the gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gate to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. That's actually, to me, that's like a sad notion to think about. That the gate is narrow and only a few actually find it. Because we've come up with this thought process that suggests that all roads point to Jesus. But that's really not the case. There's really only one road, and it's a difficult road. And there's really only one gate, and it's a narrow gate. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, tells us that if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And all that simply is to say is, what I desire has to go away. I have to take up the cause of Christ And be willing to give up everything for him. You know, later on in that same passage of scripture, John chapter 15, when Jesus was teaching, this is is where we start to see the beauty of obedience. He says, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. There is an, a direct connection between obedience and joy. No, God does, God's not interested in our happiness because happiness is a fleeting emotion. Lots of things make us happy. I mean, you could throw a picture of puppies on the screen and people smile because puppies make people happy. Or chocolate on the screen and you would smile because chocolate makes people happy. Right? Happiness is just an emotion connected to something external that usually makes us smile. Joy is something that's inside. Joy is something that you have even in the midst of the hell of, your, of, of that situation and that time or that part of your life. You have this joy in you. I, wa- I remember it's just the other day I walked. It was a rough morning at Chick-fil-A for some and I'm, I didn't know. 
and I walked in and I walked up to the front to grab my cup of coffee and I've got this big giant smile on my face and people are like, why are you smiling all the time? Life cannot be so good that you smile all the time. I was like, I don't understand why people don't smile often. Life can't be so bad that I have that you have no joy in your life anywhere. And they're like, well, that doesn't. They, they just don't, they can't comprehend that kind of conversation. Because there's this thing that's called joy that comes from obedience. That when you follow Christ and you follow, you remain in Christ, there's just this, this, and he said it. He says, you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And it comes from being obedient to what he has said. God wants us to be completely full of joy. Joy comes from being obedient to Scripture and because we're choosing to believe that God knows what will make us and fill us with the most joy. And when we choose to disobey what God says, we end up miserable. Anybody ever, has anybody ever done that? Like, have you, anybody ever chosen to disobey something God has called you to do and then find, and find that you're pretty miserable in those moments? I don't know about you, but my, even my call into ministry full time, when I made, when I, when I really was like saying, eh, no thank you, Jesus, I'm good, I, I'm comfortable where I'm at, I ended up getting to the point where I was just absolutely miserable. And I didn't even know I was, I didn't even know my misery came from my disobedience. I just knew that I just didn't. I was just like, ugh. And so I've, I've come to realize that whenever I am disobedient to God's word, whenever I'm not doing what he's called me to do, I find myself pretty miserable. And so I would choose joy over misery every day. As it, but it, that, that joy is connected to our obedience. And so what is what does that look like in your life? What is, I mean, is there anyone in this room that says, you know, I really could use more joy in my life? Because, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes life's just difficult. Sometimes challenges take place and I don't always know how to handle it. And I oftentimes don't handle it properly. Anybody ever not handle something right? Something come up and you just didn't handle it right. And man, afterwards you're like, wow, I wish I would have done that differently. And so what, is, what, is, what does that look like? What is, see, what, I, what I've come to realize is religious people can make spiritually sounding excuses to get away, with, get away with disobeying God. Let me give you some of those. And, and if these resonate in you, then good. I'm glad that the Holy Spirit is convicting you. But here's, here's what religious folks say to rationalize and even... Get away with disobeying God. They say, you know what? I'll pray about that. Something like, for instance, you're at, somebody is asked to take care of somebody who is poor. You know what, Pastor? I'm going to pray about that. Not necessary. It really isn't. The Bible's very clear. We're required to take care of the poor. It's biblical. So for you to pray to take care of the poor, that's you trying to defer obedience is what, is what we're doing. Or I'll wait for a sign from God. Now listen, 
we do need to pray over certain things. We do need to pray before we move and make, make some decisions. We do need to pray and ask God to show us ways that we know that he's speaking to us. There's no doubt about that. But that's not necessarily the case for things that are biblically already instructed for us to do. You know, if it was, if it was to say, you know what? We ought to discipline our children. You know what? I, I actually had this conversation. This is for real. I had this conversation with a parent. You know, I, I really have to pray about whether I should discipline my child. I'm like, no, you really don't. I don't understand what you mean. It's like the Bible tells us that it's, it's good to discipline our children. God disciplines those that he loves. If you don't discipline your children, I would ask you, do you even love them? Like, well, I have to pray about that. No, you don't. If you, if, God's, if you feel like God's telling you to sell everything that you own and move halfway across the world and be a missionary, yeah, you might want to pray about that. Make sure you're hearing clearly from God. But you don't need to hear clearly from God onto whether you should discipline your children or whether or not you should give. Because the Bible doesn't say anything about praying. It said determine within your heart what to give and give it cheerfully. It doesn't say about praying. There's no prayer needed for tithing. There's no prayer needed for generosity. There's no prayer needed. You see what I'm saying? We, we use these phrases, these religious phrases, to defer our obedience to God. So what does obedience really look like? I'm going to get into a couple of thoughts for you here in just a minute as I finish wrapping up the introduction to this message. It's not really that long. I just, there's a lot I wanted to say about obedience in the beginning. So what does it look like? It's... Obedience looks like this, reading your Bible, spending time with God in, in the Word because you want to, not because you have to. Obeying the Bible because you want to please God rather than because you want to stay out of trouble. Or praying to God because He wants to hear from you, not because someone told you you had to. Or choosing to love others sacrifice for them, forgive them, love them, believe in them, and never quit on them, rather than judging them and casting them off like many others have already done. See, obedience is going to look different for a lot of people, but it's going to be very, very similar because we're being obedient to what Scripture tells us. When it comes to loving people, you don't have to pray on whether or not you should love someone. You just do, because that's what the Word tells us. So a couple of thoughts I want to give you as it relates to obedience. And number one, these are in your notes, is that joy and obedience function together. They function together. I don't think that you can have joy in your life, true joy in your life, without obedience. I don't. Psalm 84, verses 4 through 7, the Bible says, What joy for those who can live in your house, always singing your praises. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. They will continue to grow stronger, and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. Why? Because there is joy in obedience. There is joy for those that can live in the house of God. When the Bible says in Psalms to live in the house, it literally means to sit under the presence of God. That's what that means. 
It means to sit. You There is joy for those that sit under the presence of God. There is joy for those who look to God as their strength. You know, you know it's actually, you see, we're going to get a fine-tuned obedience here. You know it's disobedient to look anywhere but God for strength? You know, people will say, well, strength is within you. No, strength is way above you. And it's what you tap into that's above you that gives you strength within you. It's not, there's no, I'm not strong inside. Matter of fact, I, I'd actually, I'm actually pretty weak inside. No, because it's in my weakness that God's strength is made perfect. It's not in my strength. So a lot of people think, well, if I'm just strong. So here's the, here's the, here's the biggest one, right? Somebody passes away in your life. And, and this is something that, that has been experienced close to, my, close to my family, people that I care about and people that I love who have lost loved ones in the last couple of weeks. And, and the last thing you need to tell that person is to be strong. Because that doesn't work. Be strong. What does that even mean? No, it's, it's, it's in our weakness that God's strength is made perfect. So joy comes from obedience and sitting under the presence of God. People who look to God to say, he is my strength. People who have their mind set on following after the plan of God. That's what the pilgrimage to Jerusalem is. That, and they know that when they walk through this this. this journey of their life, when they walk through this time of their life, when it's nothing but weeping and tears and difficulty, knowing that you're coming from out of that into a place of refreshing. That is what obedience brings. That's a, that's a much better picture than, I have to clean my room. So one of the other reasons this is true is because I believe that we are most productive in life when we are engaged in activity that we deeply enjoy. Right? This is all about obedience and the dreams that God has given you. Because there's no way to, there's really no way to actually accomplish the things that God wants you to accomplish without being obedient. And if you want to, the, the things that you want to accomplish, I believe we are so much more productive when we are engaged in something that we deeply enjoy. I mean, think about it. How many of us really love, love doing laundry? Nobody loves doing laundry. There are some. I take that back. There are some people that love doing laundry. And the Lord bless them because it's not me. But nobody really loves doing laundry. And so when you think about it, if you really hate it, then your laundry get done, stay in the dryer for how many days? Or if you're my children, stay in the basket crumpled up in the middle of your room for how many days? And then everything they own is all wrinkled. There's nothing productive about this. There's nothing, it doesn't look good. It's not like their clothing is all, are all, all, all folded nicely and put away because nobody likes to do that. So there's not a lot of productivity in that. But you, you, if, if it's something that you enjoy, like I enjoy golf. I'm so much more productive in life when I'm doing the things that I enjoy. I will spend hours working on some tedious little hand placement on a golf, court, golf club. But I don't want to do, I don't want nothing to do with cleaning my house. I don't want nothing to do with doing laundry. You, you see what I'm saying? See where I'm going with this? We are so much more productive when we're connected with something that we deeply enjoy. Our focus is even better when we have a task that we know is leading us to something that we enjoy. And so when it comes to 
when it comes to understanding that joy and obedience function together, if we can wrap our hearts around this idea, which is going to be what we talk about here in just a moment, but if we can wrap our hearts around this idea of joy and obedience coming together, when, when we read something in Scripture that tells us this is the way we should act or this is something that we should do for other people and we just do it, then we find ourselves in a position where it's like, wow, I'm actually kind of feeling feeling pretty good right now about this. I'm feeling, I'm feeling like I've got some energy or some happiness or some joy about what I'm doing. So we have to realize that joy and obedience function together. Number two, you have to, fi- you have to find the heart for obedience. That's a difficult thing to talk about. James chapter 1, if you ever want to be challenged deeply in your walk with Christ and whether or not you are obedient to him, Read James chapter 1. Read James. It'll wreck you. But he says in James chapter 1, verse 25, But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. James made the connection right there that we are blessed for our obedience. Looking carefully into the perfect law. When the Bible says looking care, look to look carefully into the law, it literally means to connect my heart with what God's word says. I need to connect my heart with what his word says. When his word says that I should give, I need to connect my heart with that giving. When his word says that I need to be obedient to, to take it, to, and here's a big one that Christians fail on a regular basis, is being obedient to a Sabbath, meaning taking a day or a time of rest and we fail to do that, we are actually being disobedient to God's word. You know, if the Bible tells us that we need to be obedient in how we live our lives, whether we engage in gossip, because we all have that, right? We do realize that if the moment you begin to have a conversation about someone else, that that's gossip, right? Do you know whether, whether it's true or not doesn't, doesn't ma- determine whether it's gossip, right? We know that. The second you engage a conversation about someone else, that's gossip. I actually had to shut down a conversation just like that the other day. Like that, that would, we don't need to have that conversation. That person's not even here. That's not necessary. That's gossip. So even that is like, that's, that's disobedience. So we have to look carefully into the perfect law that sets us free. And if we do what it says and don't forget what we've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. But here's the thing. Thinking this way about obedience is not natural for most people. We have to remind ourselves every day. We have to remind ourselves every day to walk in this obedience. Even Paul said he had to what? He had to crucify his flesh. He had to beat his flesh into submission daily. Because it's our flesh that wants to do what it wants to do, and our flesh does not want to obey God. Our flesh wants to have what we want. And we want it pretty much right now. And so if we're not going to walk in this journey of obedience with God, then you can pretty much, whatever the dream, and we've been talking a lot about the great parts of dreaming with God and how it's wrapped into our story and who we are. But I tell you right now, if we're not going to walk in obedience with God, then it makes no difference what you're dreaming about because it's not going to happen anyway. It's just not. I wish there was another way around it. I wish we could skirt this thing called obedience and just still land where we want to be with God, but it does not exist. It doesn't. 
To have, I mean, and and we can we can do this all day long and talk about how being obedient to God, and we can get into all these little details. But people want to know why their relationships fail. Probably because your relationship doesn't honor God and isn't obedient in the first place. What does that mean? If you live with someone you're not married to, you're in sin. You're disobedient. If you're sleep having sex with someone that you're not married to, you're disobedient. And you wonder why relationships are so difficult and so struggling. Well, well how about let's be obedient to God and see what comes from that. And I'm saying this because I've failed in all these areas. I'm not, trust me, this isn't a holier-than-thou preaching. This is a I'm failing on this like you every day preaching. It's little thing. We can go. We can go as deep as you want to go, or as surface as you want to go when it comes to obedience. But the reality is, if we're not obedient to God's word, if we're not following the things that He has laid out for us, then we simply will not see the things that we want to see happen in our lives. It just won't take place. People talk about wanting all the greatness of God, but don't want to give up anything for it. I just want to live what I want to live and just add God to the equation. But that's not how that works. Oftentimes, obedience means doing something difficult that's unpleasant and not on our short list of things that we enjoy. It also might mean following our heart's desires in spite of the fear and excuses that stand in our way. So that's a whole other part of disobedience. Let's, let's, let's look at disobedience from a... A, a, good, a good perspective if there is one. Maybe God's calling you to do something. Maybe he's saying, I've got this blessing for you. All it takes is you stepping out in faith and doing this. And we don't step out in faith because we're scared of where it might lead us or scared of what might happen. And the next thing you know, you are in the same place as the, is disobedience just the same as if it was contrary to, script, to Scripture and sin. You know, maybe God's calling you to utilize the voice that he has given you to sing and praise his name in church or wherever. But we're scared of what might happen if we, if we do it. See, that obedience goes on both sides. It's, it's, there's this opportunity that God, is, that God is desiring for us to have. Maybe he's blessed you and gifted you with his generosity and has get, you've made money let me tell you something. If you, have, if you are a believer and you make money, you know why you have money? To give it away. To give to those that are in need. To give to those that are less fortunate. That is, that's the, money is a tool just like the voice of the, uh, and the worship leader. The voice of the worship leader is a tool the same way money is to the person who's a successful businessman or a successful in, in whatever they do. That, that's a tool that God has got. He has these opportunities for us to utilize these gifts and these talents and these tools to improve not only our lives and our prospects of what it is, but also to improve the lives of others around us. We're just having this conversation in Bible study last week that I, I genuinely believe that had the church stepped up and been what the church has needed to be, what God called the church to be, that things like Social Security and Medicare wouldn't even exist. Because if the church was doing what it's supposed to do, then they would be able to take care of all of those needs. And look at the church. If you don't believe me, go, go to the book of Acts and study the first church. The Bible says that everyone came and laid all of their gifts, all of their giving, all of their money, everything at the feet of the apostles, that they would distribute them among the people, that no one would ever have need for anything is what the Bible says. 
But we've gotten away from that. I mean, there are churches out there, uh, a pastor that I just, I'm just, I'm just, this is all new because I'm following him and I've been following him for years, but he pastors a church in the Carolinas called Transformation Church. His name is Derwin Gray and he is a phenomenal man of God, champions the multi-ethnic ministry of church. They just paid off $4 million in healthcare debt of the people in their church. $4 million of healthcare debt from their church has just been paid off. Church, that is the church. That's what, that's what, that's where obedience and action meet. That's where finding the heart to be obedient is found in scripture by saying, you know, we just want to bless people. We want that's why, that's why we do something like the laundromat. You know how many times that we have been financially struggled, how we've struggled financially as a church, and the first thing in my mind is like, well, you know what? The laundromat costs us several hundred dollars a month. Maybe we just don't do that this month. We'll be better. And every single time I've ever said that, I've been convicted. God's like, what are you doing? This is what the church does. You just do what you're told to do, and I'll take care of the rest. And I can honestly say he's done that every step. He'll do the same thing for you if you'll just walk in that obedience. And so if you're thinking about, okay, your dreams and plans, what does God have for me, and you're struggling with that whole idea, let me, let me help you get started. If there is an opportunity that fits both your gifting and your personality, as well as brings you a, a, a smile, a tear, something that moves you, it's probably pretty close to connected to what God wants you to do with your life. That's how that works. You know, your heart doesn't get broken for a certain thing or a certain people just because. I mean, if it moves you in that way, if it's connected, if it fits your gifting or your personality and it improves and helps other people and it moves you, that's probably a pretty good barometer of what God's calling you to do in your life. And it's, it's going to be through prayer, through counsel, through consideration that you get a clearer understanding of what that is to look like. But that's a starting place. That's a place to say, where, what, what are you calling me to do, God? I'm going to wrap this message up here. Just a couple of thoughts. Worship team, you can come and get in place if you would. Now, I know this isn't like fun preaching. This isn't shouting them down type preaching until I start preaching about kids being obedient and all the parents shout. So here's what I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you with this. We ought to embrace this concept of obedience and strive to appreciate it as much as we can because I believe that it's crucial to us seeing God move in our lives. I do. I believe being obedient is crucial to seeing God move in our lives. There's this part of the journey that's just so important to be able to listen to God and then do what it is he asks you to do. It's like, I look at this, this, part, of this, this, this part of our journey as a season where we are we're being stretched. And I think in order for anyone, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm holding on to the words um, at our night of worship, Pastor John King, wonderful man and a good friend of mine, 
and when and I, and he hears from the Lord no doubt and has such a such a beautiful relationship with God that when he says something to me I I try to hold on to it and and, and my wife alluded to it already in our announcements and she said that you know that, that God's calling us to be come disciples and not just Christians and how he talked about how the Christians was a word that someone else gave us based on what they saw. They saw people who acted like Christ and he called they called them Christians. And so it was it's a man-made up thing that took place based on what people saw and in order to become a disciple obedience is a part of that but there's this stretching that takes place and I liken it to this image of a baker working on dough. And they pick up this dough and they stretch it out and they roll it out and they ball it up. And this thing goes from being balled up to stretched out to rolled out so many different times in order to get it to the just right consistency. So when they put it in the oven that it bakes perfectly. I believe that's what God's doing with us. That he's stretching us. That he's pulling on us. That he's shaping and reshaping. And sometimes in that process, he's just got to scrap it and ball it back up. And then start over and do it again. And I believe that everyone's story is going to look different. Everyone's path is going to look different. But what I know that everyone will go through this stage in life where they're being stretched. Where they're being rolled over. Where you start to see like things are going in the right direction and you're like, oh, this is exciting. And then wham, something just hits you. And all it is is very simply God saying, I'm still shaping you. Don't ever feel like just because life has hit you hard in a moment that there's something wrong. God's just saying, I'm I'm shaping you. I'm reshaping you. And so I want to share with you a picture. I this doesn't happen with me very often. I, I don't, um, very, very rarely in my life does, do I see things through images. I'll hear, I'll hear God speak to my heart very clearly and things that I'm supposed to say and things that I'm supposed to do, but very rarely do I actually see images. But I want to I share this with you because I, I, I received this image and I, I, have to, I had to think, I had to pray through it. I almost didn't put this in my message because I had to really, really pray through it because I saw this image while loaded up on all kinds of different natural remedies and medications and everything for the, 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 nasty, the nasty flu I had for two days. And so I saw this and I wasn't quite sure if it was a result of my 102.9 fever that I was just seeing things or if this was a God thing because I was thinking about this message and I was praying and Matter of fact, I had reached out to Nate and asked him if he was in town because I was going to ask him just to preach for me because I was feeling so awful. And when he texted me back and he said he wasn't, I was like, oh, it's okay, I'm gonna, I- I'll be fine. And then this, right after that conversation is when I saw this picture and I wrote it down. And I said, this is something that I believe that happens in the spirit world when we choose obedience. And so what I see is I see you standing in the middle of an empty room. And you have a choice to make. And you see, you choose to follow God and to be obedient in what he's asking you to do. And I don't know what that looks like for each one of you. For each one of you, it looks different. But there's something that God is asking you to do. You may know exactly what it is specifically. It may be connected biblically to your lifestyle and choices that you're making right now. I don't know what that looks like. But I I believe it looks different for everyone. But you're standing in this empty room. And you have this choice to follow God, to be obedient in what he's asking you to do. 
And then here's what I saw, that after you make that choice, all the walls in the room started to roll down. And then all of a sudden you realize you're not alone anymore, but there are a million things that are pulling at your attention. So you've got this empty room, and you make the decision to be obedient to God, and then it's like, okay, you've made that decision, and then all the walls start to roll down. And then there's all these things that want to pull at your attention. There's a million different things that try to get your attention, whether it's a relationship with another person or it's, it's the, your children and their needs or your job and, their, and that needs and whatever the case may be. And here's what I, here's what I believe that, that picture showed is that the enemy is so excited that you're choosing to be obedient to God because he's going to make this as difficult as he possibly can because he can't wait to watch you fail. He can't wait to make your life more difficult because he can't wait to watch you fail. But at the same time, I believe that God is standing there with you in that room and he cannot wait to make you stronger. He cannot wait to lift that burden that is so heavy on you. He cannot wait for you to ask him for help. I want you to understand this in this life. You're not alone. To follow Christ and to live obedient is not easy. It's actually exceedingly difficult. But you are not alone. 2 John chapter 1, verse 6 tells us that love means doing what God has commanded us. And he has commanded us to love one another just as you have heard from the beginning. Obedience equals love. And I don't know a single person in here that wouldn't say I, lo- I don't, that would not say I, I don't love the Lord. They, I, I believe that everyone in this room would say I, I love Jesus. I love the Lord. And I, but in order to walk that out, obedience is necessary to walk out love.